Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of FemPop. I'm your host, Tanya, and since this is the first episode, let me explain to you what we're doing. I'm taking pop culture things and looking at them with a more adult feminist viewpoint. Today's topic is one that I feel like a lot of millennials, especially millennial females, will resonate with, and that is the pop princesses of the 90s and how they shaped and formed for the better or worse uh, some of our personality traits of today. And my host, my host, my host, you're always my co-host. So like, I'm just like, yeah, just co-host on this too. Uh, My guest today is my BFF, Stephanie. Hey y'all. Happy to be here. Yeah. So if you are a broader fan of the witches through podcasting network, you will know Stephanie as my co-host to the Watchers Council with our Buffy watch through. She's also been a guest on my other podcast, Songs We Shouldn't Have Listened To in Middle School. I've been a guest on her podcast, Euphonia, and we've both been guests on other podcasts. <laughs> so, you know, we're inseparable and you should just get used to this dynamic. Right off the <laughs> so today's conversation is the 90s pop princesses. Stephanie, what is your history with 90s pop princesses? Oh, wow. Um, That is my history. Is that a fair answer? (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, growing up, I was pretty much exclusively into pop music. And I was right in that target age. I was born in 1987. So um, as we'll discuss, like when this, when they started coming out in around like 1999, I was 12 years old. So yeah, I was right there in that demographic and I was, I wanted to be them. I mean, I, my mom is a wedding singer or was a wedding singer and I grew up in a very musical family and I'm a singer. And so it was, I, I just, I, I loved them and I wanted to be them. I actually, um, I used to because that was also back in the day of VHS, I used to record their performances and music videos, learn the dance moves, and then go outside in like my townhouse community and perform them for the neighbors. <laughs> so that's how uh, invested in 90s pop princesses I am. <laughs> no, that's really fair. Uh, so Stephanie and I are the same age. I was also born in 87. So again, I was the target demographic when they started to hit the scene. And yeah, I remember not at my parents' house because my parents didn't have cable, but I do remember at my grandmother's house doing the same thing where I had like a VHS tape. It was, and it was like the same thing. Like if uh, you were listening to the radio and you had a cassette tape and you would just be like, I got to record this. Everybody shut up. Um, And so, yeah, I had like VHS tapes of just like, TRL performances or their music videos. I would record like the entire length of like the VMAs because those were like such big performances at the time. Like, oh my God. So yeah, I would just start it at the beginning and then remember like where on the tape were the performances that I wanted to (laughs) rewatch. Yeah, you fucking whippersnappers and your goddamn YouTube. You don't understand the pain that we went through (laughs) to record the pop princesses of the 90s. My very first concert ever, it was in sync and Britney Spears opened for them. We talked about that on songs and no one knew who she was. 
it was pre, it was like, I think baby one more time, like the single had like just come out. Like, I honestly think they were like giving out her CDs at the, Oh my like, God. That's amazing. <laughs> but I remember, I remember really loving her. I remember, you know, being like, Oh, I don't know who this is, but like, yeah, I distinctly remember one of the costumes she had was like that crushed velvet bell-bottom pants with like a sports bra in like oh, hell silver yeah. it was it's so yes. 90s iconic there were so many like variations of that pairing um that that like 90s pop print especially Britney Spears like I can remember I feel like the outfit in like the slave for you video mm -hmm. is kind of almost like that that like tube top right sash bra thing and like flare pants <laughs> right before we started recording, I, I said this, I think 90s pop princesses are such a big part of my childhood growing up that, yeah, I remember Britney and Christina being the big ones, but I was like, surely there were more than just the four that I came up with originally, which is right. Britney, Christina, Mandy, and Jessica. Mm -hmm. But like really looking into it, that was, that was the four. And then every, all the other ladies at the time, we're doing different things. So you had like Gwen Stefani, Jennifer Lopez, Avril Lavigne. Like it was all yeah. Brandy, Monica. Like it was all different. Different vibes. Yeah. It didn't quite fall into that box of the pop princess. Yeah. And so it'll be these four that we kind of gravitate towards today, the conversation. And it'll mainly be Britney and Christina because I feel like those were it. It was kind of yeah. like when you were a Backstreet Boys girl or an NSYNC <laughs> girl, you were kind of a Britney person or a Christina person. And that's one thing we'll talk about is pitting women against each other. Yep. Because there's only room at the table for one woman. Yep. <laughs> ah, patriarchy. All right. So details. 1999 is the year. Everything fucking happened in music. <laughs> Any importance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just in, just for our just for our purposes. So in 1999, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and Mandy Moore all came out with their first albums. That is so wild to me because honestly, I that it's kind of crazy to me that like Jessica Simpson and Mandy Moore's albums came out the same mm -hmm. year because like in my memory, it feels like it was it was after Britney and Christina as like a response to Britney. Like it's it's my memory does not track with that. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it may have been, it may have been just a few months. I don't have like, look, guys. Right. I didn't do in-depth research because it's not <laughs> the kind of podcaster I am. And also I have a full-time job and I don't get paid to just podcast. Please sponsor me. So I don't have the months of when these came but out. Even so, I mean, even if they were like months apart, that means that they were all like working on these oh, and like yeah. preparing to come out at the same time. So yeah, yeah. because these things don't just like happen. Right. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing to point out is Mandy Moore is three years younger than the rest of them. Jessica and Christina were born in 1980. Brittany was born in 1981. And then Mandy Moore was born in 1984. Which is also funny because I wouldn't have been surprised if you had told me the opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the really big thing timeline-wise to point out is I really only researched up until 2007 because at that point, that's when all the craziness happened. <laughs> Britney Spears is the one that consistently put out albums every single year. Yeah. So you got 1989, she has Baby One More Time. 2000, she did Oops, I Did It Again. 2001 is Britney. 
2002, she did take a break, but 2003 was In the Zone. 2004, she did the tour for In the Zone. Everyone else, it was kind of... More spread out, for sure, yeah. Because Christina Aguilera, her very first album came out in 1999. In 2000, she did a Spanish album and she did a Christmas album, which... I owned both of. <laughs> yes, because Stephanie, your team Christina originally correct originally i was team destiny yes. yes when we had to pit women against each other we've grown and we realized that there is room <laughs> for both christina Brittany, jessica and mandy at this table yes Especially i can have now. like a very in-depth conversation of what i think Brittany ex now at this age what i could what i believe Brittany excelled at that christina maybe didn't necessarily and what Christina excels at that Britney does not. They both filled a niche and had, you know, tremendous talents. But yes, back in the day, I was 100% Team Christina. Yeah, because yeah. it yeah, it was it had to be one or the other. <laughs> yeah, like I could not tell you that Chris. I mean, I vaguely remember Christina ha Aguilera having a Spanish album. But also that was the time during the Latin invasion because mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez album came out in 1999. And so I remember thinking that the Christina Aguilera Spanish album was just kind of a hop on that train type of thing, whether that's fair or not, but like my 12 year old brain, right? Like you've been marketed as this like pure white singer mm -hmm. for a bit. And now like, because Jennifer Lopez and Mark Antony and uh, Ricky Martin because they're right. famous and or they're in the popular outside of Spanish only radio. They're now right. in the popular arena. I, I felt at the time that that album was a reaction instead of a genuine, I want to put out a Spanish album. Right. And I, I think this is something that like, we'll probably talk about too, is that at that age that we were having those thoughts and stuff, like if you were team Brittany or team Christina, you were looking for things. And this is like what we were taught to do kind of by like society and the media is to look for things to judge and criticize the other team for, you know? So if like you considered yourself team Brittany, you were more prone to have, I think those beliefs about like maybe something that she did like a Spanish album or something like that. Whereas like if I was team Christina, unfortunately, and we will definitely get into this, I was more prone to judge her for her sexuality and judge her for her image. And it sickens me to think what we were conditioned to believe about other female artists as children. I mean, but anyway, that's obviously getting into that. For timeline sake, so people know. Yeah. So Britney has the most albums consistently. And she did a tour with every single one of those albums. She toured with Baby one more time. She toured with Oops, I Did It Again. And in 2000, she did two tours. She did Oops, I Did It Again. And then she did the Crazy 2K tour. I don't know how many stops that was. But then 2001, she had Britney. And there was a tour to go with that. 2003, 2004, she had In the Zone and a tour to go with that. So yeah, she was cranking it out and touring. And I think in my opinion, that's one reason why she stuck around so much is because she was a fucking workhorse. She yeah. was out there. She was on every single TV show. She was pretty much everywhere. Christina sort of did the same thing. She had the, she had Christina Aguilera in the tour in 1999. She had her Christmas album and Spanish album in 2000. But then in 2002, that's when we take the major personality shift and we do 
stripped in that tour. And that's one thing that we'll talk about. We'll talk about the personality shift between the pure, innocent girls that were packaged to us in 1999 and Mm -hmm. the rebellion that happened in like 2002, 2003. Jessica Simpson, so she had her first album, Sweet Kisses, in 1999. She did not go on tour for that. She did, however, go on tour as the opener for 90, for 98 Degrees in 2000, which... That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting into that. 2001, she had Irresistible and a tour to go with that. Um, and then she didn't have another album until 2003. She's only done two tours in her entire, tour, in her entire career. She did a uh-huh. tour for Irresistible. Well, she only headlined two tours. Right, she right, right. Tour for Irresistible. And then in 2004... She did the reality tour, which I assume is her and Nick Lachey going gotta be right on some sort of whatever. Then we have Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore also did, you know what? Actually, Mandy Moore did just as many albums as Britney in the same amount of time. Uh, She did So Real in 1999. 2000, she did I Want to Be With You. 2001, she did Mandy Moore. And then her next one was 2003 with Coverage. That is also bizarre. To, Mandy Moore's timeline is kind of tripping me out, guys. Like, yeah. the fact that coverage and In the Zone came out in the same year is absolutely wild to me. I think it's because I maybe did not come to love coverage until I was older. Maybe that, like, resonated with me Um when I was older because coverage for those that don't know is a cover album that Mandy Moore did. She covers Moonshadow by Cat Stevens, uh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's by Elton John. I think she did One Way or Another by Blondie and Have a Little Faith in Me, which is one of my favorite songs. I mean, that album is, if, if you like those, I, I really highly recommend that album just to put that out there. It's a really beautiful album and it's something that you can like, I love pop music and everything, but I also think, like, this is, this was catered, I think, to a more adult audience, coverage was. And I just think it's a really beautiful album. But it's crazy to me that they came out in the same year because, I mean, In the Zone, I absolutely loved when it came out. But I think maybe it just feels like two separate eras of my life, those albums. So I don't know. <laughs> no, that's that's completely fair. I think it is important to point out that Mandy was the only one out of these three that successfully made a film career after she disappeared from the pop music scene. I mean, she's a fucking Disney princess now. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember hearing an interview with Mandy Moore recently where, if I'm remembering correctly, she talks about how acting was her first love and that was mm-hmm. always what she wanted to do. But then the music thing with candy and everything it became an opportunity and she was just like okay let's roll with it and that's why though she kind of transitioned into acting because i think maybe that was what she wanted to do um anyway she's recently come back to music but yeah i think that was like her first love britney has been in shows she also had that movie crossroads um, they've tried to put her in things. I've, I always, every time Britney Spears is on a screen, whether it's in How I Met Your Mother or any of the other things, I just see Britney Spears. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same thing with Beyonce for me. I agree when with you. Beyonce's yeah. in a movie. I, I don't see her character. I see Beyonce. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for people who have 
that big of a persona in the public eye to, I think, inhabit another character. Yes. I will say that I think the only time that I really appreciated it with Beyonce, I do think that Dreamgirls was a good... Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah. to be fair, and I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but to be fair, like, that was also, like, a singer. Like, I mean... Yeah, it, it was a was role still... where she was a singer. Yeah. Right. Um, But, yeah, going back to Britney Spears, too, with the acting, it's always funny to me because, like, oh, God, I hated Crossroads. And I just, I mean, I really, yeah, it wasn't the best. And I can't figure it out because like, I don't know if anyone else listening or if you watched Mickey Mouse Club when like Mm -hmm. she and Justin and everything, but I was obsessed with the Mickey Mouse Club. I thought she did great on the Mickey Mouse Club. And I even watched it like later on when she was famous, they like did a whole day on the Disney Channel after like Britney and Justin and all of that and Christina all became famous. They had like a marathon one day on the Disney Channel where they showed episodes of the Mickey Mouse Club and I thought she did great she even like sounded like her singing voice was even better than I remembered she did a great job I don't really know um what happened but maybe it was that just Britney Spears was such a persona at that point that it was hard to become another character yeah I don't know that I ever watched Crossroads because even as a Britney person I was like this looks cringy I don't want (laughs) to I think we went to I I I'm like 99% sure I saw it in theaters with my friends. I think we just went for like the, just to go see it because I mean, it was Britney Spears, you know, but I don't know, honestly, like, I think I've only ever seen it that one time. And back then, like we've said, like I was a Christina person and I probably watched it with the eye of like, let me figure out all the ways that I can like judge and criticize Britney Spears for all of her flaws in this movie. So I don't know, maybe I would feel differently. I think a lot of people think it's like an iconic movie, but I also think that is maybe for nostalgia's sake, not because it's some great film. (laughs) Yes. Oh, absolutely. And then I will say like, that was really the one thing that she did when she was at like the height, height of her fame. The other TV stuff didn't come until the conservatorship, like how I met your mother and all that other stuff. That wasn't until like danger zone. Let's just get to talking about (sighs) purity culture. Yeah. So when these ladies all hit the scene, as it were, purity culture was really starting to take root. And that's basically where girls have to promise to stay virgins until they're married. Um, And especially like I'm from the South. (laughs) This is a big thing. I was very lucky in the fact that my parents were non-religious. And so I didn't have to deal with any of that bullshit. Now, I definitely did get, um, because I went to Catholic school from sixth grade to 12th grade. So I definitely got like the Catholic school take on it. But also, you know, my parents were cops. And so they still insisted on purity culture in that they didn't want me to be having sex. And But their whole thing was not like, God will punish you or whatever. Their whole thing was, you'll get pregnant immediately and any guy who knocks you up in high school is a scumbag and he'll leave you immediately and your whole life will change and your body will not be your own your life will not be your own your money will not be your own blah 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 blah. let's cut to now when I'm 33 my biggest (laughs) phobia in life is having a child yeah that's really interesting that you (laughs) discuss it like that because so I also so I didn't grow up in the south I grew up in New Jersey but 
like Tanya, I went to Catholic school. I actually went to Catholic school for 13 years from kindergarten through 12th grade. And my parents though also were not religious or not super religious. And they, and I had like very serious conversations with my mom about sex and she didn't want me like, you know, running out and having sex all over the place, obviously, but she was also very realistic. I'll have to give it to her to, and very honest with me about like, you know, not believing that I also had to wait till marriage. You know, she was very realistic about it that like, I don't know that you want to marry someone that you don't know is like a caring uh, and respectful person in the bedroom, which I, I always respected from my mom's perspective. But I think also then what happened with me was that there was this pressure between the Catholic school teaching and this idea of like, okay, well, maybe it doesn't have to be marriage, but it has to be the right person. It has to be the right time. It has to be the right scenario. And I put that on a pedestal to where even in any scenario that I was in where I might have sex, I overanalyzed it so much to the point that like, I mean, I'm very open about this, so I don't care if like the the listeners know this about me, that I waited until I was like in my 20s to lose my virginity because I was terrified terrified of it not be how do I know how do I know it's the right person how do I know like it was built up so much in our heads I think as women as young women um and I do think that that period of conversation with our pop princesses is also part of that because not only were we being taught this in school not only were we being taught this by our parents we were also being taught this by the media and by the music that we listened to and everyone that we looked up to um it was all consuming for our listeners so that they know how good a friend stephanie and i are i made her a handmade hallmark card oh when God. she lost her virginity <laughs> wait hold on a second because this is actually totally relevant to this conversation so back tanya mentioned about being either like in sync or backstreet boys people tanya and i are both in sync people Mm -hmm. um and back in the day i was a justin timberlake girl when i lost my virginity it was around the time that justin and jessica beal got engaged and the card that tanya sent me literally said you you may have lost justin but you also lost something else (laughs) and it was the best thing i've ever received in my life uh yeah so i'm gonna start an etsy shop where i sell cards now oh my god yeah and just picture like glitter everywhere oh my god i'm pretty sure like i opened it in the mail i'm just like glitter rained everywhere (laughs) (laughs) there's so much glitter but yeah purity culture was a big thing and especially for these these women kind of whether they wanted it or not jessica simpson was probably the most vocal and believable in wanting that lifestyle um, because she was from the South. And I want to say like her dad was a preacher or something like that. And so she started in the Christian music world and then made that transition. And so she was really vocal about, I'm going to wait until marriage. It absolutely has to be the right person. So much so that that like, I mean, she got a fucking reality TV show because of that. Yeah, I think that- (laughs) looking back now as an adult, my heart kind of really breaks for her because I look back and I remember all the stories about how controlling her father was because I believe her father was also her manager, Joe Simpson. I think you're right that he was a preacher and I believe that it was 
not only important because of what society believed pop princesses should be, but also for the image of that family, that she remain chaste and pure, et cetera, et cetera. And this is just my opinion. I have no proof of this. I don't, you know, I don't think she's ever commented on this, but if I had to wager a guess, I would say that this is part of the reason that she rushed into a marriage with Nick Lachey, which like we all know did not last very long. And yeah, she got a reality show out of it, but like, and I mean, this is all like a connected conversation that like that reality show also set her up to have the image of like a fucking idiot. Oh yeah. And like, I laughed at her back then, but like, I look back now and I'm like, this is another woman. What did we do to her? Like, what, I mean, I don't know. I just have so many thoughts about this stuff. Like, (laughs) no, I absolutely. And I remember, so I remember, yeah, I think that I think, and again, I know she has an autobiography and I have not read it, but I, again, in my opinion, I think the thing with her and Nick Lachey was, I think it was twofold in that it was the standard Christian thing of let's rush into marriage Mm -hmm. because so we can have sex essentially. Right. Right. Also, I think it was just such a good narrative of Mm -hmm. this pop princess opened for 98 degrees, Mm -hmm. met this boy band leader fell in love like it's it's this well total fucking package especially if like okay if we're looking at the fact that the reality tour took place in 2004 so that leads me to believe that that was around the time of newlyweds. what was the newlyweds right if that's the case and in the zone came out the year before let's remember that the last song on the In The Zone album is Every Time, which was a clear response to Cry Me A River. So that was right around the time of Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake breaking up, which caused like shockwaves. They were the pop princess and the boy band. You know what I mean? The boy bander. And then what's the reaction to that is let's pair up this other pop princess and this other boy bander and make them the perfect picture of look at it that it can work like this is the right. one that worked it's it's kind of twisted when you look at it I mean it is twisted oh, when yeah. you look at it from those perspectives she did get a lot of work from that she so she had the reality tour she had the show she had her own line of like body products it was like the dessert edible yes. Fucking I just saw products. something on BuzzFeed about that and like it all came rushing back to me like I had totally forgotten about that dessert line but back then I was like obsessed with that shit I don't yeah. even know why I didn't even like Jessica Simpson that much but I fucking love that dessert line <laughs> well I also think that the really interesting thing with Jessica Simpson in particular is that they they marketed her as purity culture that worked because the second she got married and was allowed to have sex, they were allowed to sex her up. Oh my god! In her and they image, really did. Wow. She played fucking Daisy Duke. Yep. In the remake, and I mean that was when she was like fucking. And I, I know I've heard her come out in interviews and talk about the struggle with her body image. Yeah. Because like in when she was like Daisy Duke, she was like a hundred pounds maybe. Like she was so skinny and like it was such a thing. And from a marketing standpoint, of course that's what you do. From a marketing standpoint, of course you take the purity success story success story mm-hmm. and then say this is how you grow up appropriately. You 
wait until marriage. You are this pure virginal girl until marriage. And then the second that you get married, you are supposed to be this sex goddess and it is okay. And I mean, she, she is beautiful. She is like your perfect blonde bombshell. She was naturally well endowed, which again was also a thing that we talked about. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have a really good point too, because if you think, I remember when, I don't know how you remember her first coming out, like with her first album and her first single, I want to love you forever. I remember back then she was like, I don't necessarily agree with this still to this day, Mm -hmm. but she was like hailed as like essentially like another fucking like Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, just because she had like some big notes but I as a singer I still she was she had a powerful voice but it, it wasn't like that okay let's, but, let's be honest out of our four ladies Christina has the best voice there is no That's question it. there is no That's question it. and I do think I think that I was back in the day I think that is why I was a Christina girl I think the right. reason that I felt like I had to hate hate Britney because I was a Christina girl was because of the media but the reason that I was drawn to Christina was because I'm a singer and that's what you know but anyway besides that I think that Jessica Simpson when she first came out she was hailed for her voice for the work that she was doing and you're absolutely right though what happened to her after she got married she then became her image completely changed into being the dumb blonde bimbo a hundred percent that's who she was she always had short shorts ever she did daisy dukes and then like everything that i see her in after that you know i like i see that public affair came out in 2006 i remember there was like a song or something that she you know roller skated around in like short shorts yeah it was like the 70s like Yes, everything she did had those booty shorts then Mm -hmm. after that. And after, you know, the newlyweds show, she was also dumb. Uh, Everyone, you know, so what more perfect image to throw her into then is the dumb blonde bimbo. Um, And her music became, I think she didn't get talked about as much about her voice or her talent, but the way that she looked in the entire image that, that she had or was, you know, thrust upon her. Right. And she had that entire, like, ugh, and this is another thing we'll get into. I, the older I've gotten, the more issues I have with Rolling Stone as a magazine. She had that really iconic spread um, after she got married where she was like doing house chores in like almost next to nothing clothing. And there's like a song that she did too, where like the entire... I can't remember the name of it right now. The entire music video is her on her like hands and knees, like scrubbing and cleaning and like dish bubbles, like blowing around her. And like, I think the lyrics are like, the real me is a Southern girl with my Levi's on and like, but like this whole image of, but like, yeah, paired with this image of like a housewife in like skimpy clothes. Right. Which like also, let's be honest, that fits into that, image of like the pure girl who then becomes the sexy wife who fits the patriarchal view of what a a wife at home should be her career is so interesting to me yes because like she is the purity culture success story and then we find out they were only married for what like four or five years like i don't even know if it was that long i'm I yeah. mean, maybe i'm yeah i'd be interested to look that up honestly i don't know but i feel like it was like a blink and i remember vaguely when they broke up her and nick lachey i remember that narrative turned against her 
And I remember it was like, oh, Jessica suddenly got sexy. And I think that there was rumors of her cheating on Nick with like yeah. Johnny Knoxville or something because he was <gasps> in Dukes right. of Hazard. Yes, you're right. Um, so there were all these rumors that she cheated. I want to say that like the big pop narrative was that she got really famous from the newlywed show and Nick couldn't handle it. And it, like he wanted, he wanted to focus on family and stability. And right. so he left because she was like some cheating whore now. Right. And God forbid she be career oriented at that point, because when you get married, you're supposed to, you know. Right. You're supposed to just give up your fucking career to mm-hmm. have babies and whatever. But like also like, and this is the main point that we're trying to get across for this episode, I think, is like the media fucks these women over and it is impossible for them to win. She played by the book. She did everything she was supposed to do Uh by the media narrative. And the second that the relationship fell apart, whether he left her, she left him, whatever, it was her fault. Yeah. And I think, you know, something to keep in mind too about Jessica Simpson is that like, she is still dealing with this today okay she is one of those celebrity women who have fluctuations in weight and every other month or week when they're running out of stories you see an article of like oh jessica simpson has another weight gainer check out jessica simpson's 50 pound weight loss jessica simpson how did jessica simpson take all that weight off like constantly constantly in and half the time it's because she's pregnant or something like that i mean but Either way, like she cannot get away from it. She's clearly at this point trying to just live her life. Okay. She's not even really in the public eye anymore, but we still have to talk about her weight. And I also hate to say it, but like there was also that period where um, I know that you love his music and I love his music as well, but I know, I know. It, I know. It's got to come in. That, come in. And he's apologized for it. He, you know, I think he's acknowledging he's, a, you know, he was a piece of shit for a while, but. John Mayer commenting about what did he say like that she was he, like a firecracker in bed or something like that she, he was like she was sexual napalm sexual and napalm. um because and again this was a Rolling Stone interview that mm-hmm. fucked him over because um he said that she they asked all about his like history with ladies and he's yeah. a famous womanizer and they were like it doesn't really seem like you and Jessica Simpson really have a lot in common because at that point she was the dumb blonde because this was yep. um after the divorce mm-hmm. um and he's just like yeah whenever and I'm, I'm sorry I laugh at this <laughs> whenever whenever I like want her to be quiet or whenever like she starts talking too much or whatever I'll just tell her that it's really cute when she meditates oh my god I don't remember that at all Oh my God. <laughs> it's funny in like a dark way. Be- like, yes. I think like we're both laughing because like, I I, I think we're women. And so we're right. used to this shit. And if you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just like, are you fucking kidding me, John Mayer? Okay. And so here, here's my caveat with John Mayer. I was a huge fan for a very long time because his blues guitar is fucking amazing. Don't judge him off of, if you're judging him musically, don't judge him off of Room for Squares and all that stuff. (laughs) Judge him off of the John Mayer trio. And if you have to pick one of his pop albums, do Gravity. Um, Continuum, yeah. A Continuum. Mm -hmm. It's like an almost perfect album. However, he's an asshole. Yeah. I mean, I've already said that, like, I used to be like a really big Justin Timberlake fan and I'm still a fan of like his older music, but like, 
obviously, I mean, yeah. we're having this conversation about Britney Spears. Um, he was awful, an mm-hmm. awful, awful person. Mm-hmm. Awful. And I mean, like, we can even like get into those conversations about like, even if let's, you know, even if Britney Spears cheated on Justin Timberlake and Jessica Simpson cheated on Nick Lachey or whatever, that's not our business. Okay. Right. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that the entire world needs to turn against them. They were young. Maybe they made mistakes. Okay. Lord knows that men are forgiven all the time for the whoring around that they do. It's not our business if, if they had relationship issues and it's not an excuse for either of these men to go out into the media and sell all of their sexual experiences with these women and, and give up that information without these women's consent, basically, um, which both of them did. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. So that's like Jessica Simpson's kind of trajectory of this, like doing everything by the book. And then we still, as a society and in media fucked her over when it fell apart. Let's get into the two big ones, Christina and Brittany. (laughs) They were also part of this purity culture thing. And unlike Jessica, I always got the sense that they were just going with it because of their management. I never mm-hmm. got like with Jessica Simpson, I believed it. I believed that she was going to wait till marriage because right. like she was pastor's girl. And again, another thing, like in the South, there's purity balls mm-hmm. <gasps> where like girls wear all white, their fathers wear tuxedos. And you basically essentially agree that you are spiritually married to your father until he gives you away at the wedding. (laughs) I mean, if you, if you want to like just vomit continuously for an entire weekend, just Google search, uh, purity balls and, um, the photo shoots that go with them. My favorites are the girls in white dresses, the dads in tuxedo and the dad has like a shotgun where it's just like, Not only am I going to stand over my daughter in a spiritual way, but also I will fucking shoot anyone that comes near them. Yeah, totally normal. This is healthy. It's such a disgusting, (laughs) it's such a disgusting culture because the thing is these fathers that basically like, I mean, what 10 year old to 12 year old girl is not going to want to dress up in a pretty ball gown Mm -hmm. and go to a fancy party. Like that is every fairy tale, Cinderella ball, Mm -hmm. whatever. Of course they're going to want to like, of course, if you would come to me and been like, here's this really pretty dress. Do you want to go to this ball? I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do it. But like, they don't know what they're signing up for and they don't know what this means permanently. I mean, also at that age, like how much of the stuff that you do is because like your parents told you to do it. I mean, Absolutely. at least like that's, that's how I was raised is that I did what my, I trusted my parents and I, you know, I trusted that they were right about things. And so, you know, if they told me that that was the right thing to do, then I, okay. Yeah. Sign me up. Like I trust you. Let's do it. <laughs> we have these girls going to these fun parties and like, there's always like some vow or some contract or some bullshit ceremonial thing that they have to do. And like, they don't understand the language. I mean, if I was a teen, I would have just been like, yeah, okay, whatever. Sure, this is just some like 
right weird ceremonial traditional thing people have mm-hmm. done it forever whatever whatever but also these fathers that's the thing that blows my mind is these fathers are pretty much infallible in these situations where like you know they have control over their daughter's spiritual and physical being and they 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 themselves don't have to live up to anything oh like, no they themselves could be like fucking womanizer alcoholics. It doesn't fucking matter. I mean, in, in that type of culture, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the type of people who believe that men are men and, you know, boys are boys and they can only control themselves so much. And that's just the right. nature of men. And also the type of belief of a, a woman gets passed on from her father to her husband. You know what I mean? Like right. that, I mean, we could get into the, you know, wedding psychology of like, yeah, of the um, giving away of the father or asking for the father's permission to marry. I told my husband, I would be offended if you asked my dad. (laughs) That's funny. I give you permission to marry me, not my dad. (laughs) Uh, My, I I will give him credit. My ex-husband did ask my dad, but I think it was more for my dad's benefit. Yeah. Than mine. I think Mm -hmm. Zach was smart enough to be like, I don't think Tanya cares about this, but her dad's gonna. Yeah. And I don't, I understand like every couple's gotta do what's, what's best for them. And I knew that my dad wouldn't care. My dad wouldn't expect that of, um, I mean, my, just for everyone's reference, my father is a hippie who has hair down to his ass and looks like Willie Nelson. So he is pretty much the opposite of Tanya's father, who is a Southern police officer. So much, so much. Purity culture, it was a big thing in the 90s. Um, but like I said, I never really fully believed that Brittany and or Christina wanted to be part of it. I always right. felt that, you know, one prong of it was they came from the Disney Channel and mm-hmm. Disney has always, you know, it's for kids. And so they wanted to kind of use the leverage from the Disney Channel audience to get their bigger audience and so they had to be somewhat teenage acceptable you know what I mean but I think that it was just such a big thing that like their managers or whoever pushed on them this like kind of purity culture thing and so they all were like oh yeah I'm gonna wait till marriage like they all publicly said that and then yeah I don't know that anyone actually <laughs> no 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 lived up to uh, that. but I think what's also worth mentioning is that not only they they were put in an impossible position not only were they supposed to be open about this like purity lifestyle saving themselves for marriage not actually having sex but they were also meant to live up to this impossible expectation to also somehow be sexy but not too sexy i mean let's not forget that like christina aguilera's very first song was called genie in a bottle you have to rub me the right way. I mean, she's openly singing about sex, but not allowed to be sexy or talk about having sex. What is she, no matter what she does, she's going to be criticized by someone. I mean, it's it's an impossible scenario. Right. And it was just, it was this very thin line of walking where it was like all of your sexual songs have to be heavily metaphored. Uh-huh. So the kids didn't get it. But also, you know, I mean, Britney Spears' very first music video is that fucking schoolgirl outfit. Yep, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's teenage sexy. Yep. But like, no teenagers are really like that. Like, 
god damn we went to catholic school i was not allowed to wear my uniform like that but no but i mean also like think about like that i mean god there's a level to that that's like a little bit sick isn't it but like yeah this tiny little like schoolgirls uniform and yeah. didn't she have like the pigtails with like yep. the fluffy pink yep. Yep. scrunchies like let's yep. how how what's the word I'm looking for? Like, how can we like belittle and make her childlike, but keep her sexy? Like, what the yeah. fuck is this y'all? Like, this is yeah. a- Who is this for? I mean, and also the famous Rolling Stone spread of Britney Spears that really yeah. kicked off yep. the conversation. Okay. Where she's in a bra and underwear holding a fucking Teletubby. Right. What are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because like, if you think about any of the ways that these girls were made to dress, it was teaching girls our age how to hate our bodies because they were all, they were all so skinny. They've all mm-hmm. talked about like eating disorders and, yep. you know, the pressure to be that skinny. Because again, yep. not only, not only did the nineties, like did the pop girls have to be skinny, but also in the nineties, that's when models, that's when the term heroin chic. Yeah fucking popular for models you had to look so thin that you had a drug problem like Mm -hmm. that's that's disgusting but still probably get criticized by the i mean by the media of of your right i mean it wasn't there was no winning Yeah. yeah and so uh you had you had these images that were teaching us that as as young women that we need to be skinny and we need to wear skimpy clothing but it needs to be passively sexy it can't Mm -hmm. be actively sexy because sexiness is not for us it's for the viewer sexiness is not something that we feel it's not something that we control we should just be naturally sexy and appealing in a way that men will notice you should look good enough that men want to jerk off to you but you shouldn't be actually enjoying any sex yourself. <laughs> Let's right. be honest. <laughs> you should just, I mean, it, it's, you should just wake up like this. Mm-hmm, you should just that, roll yeah. over and wake up and be sexy, but not in an active way. It has to be passive sexuality because mm-hmm. women are supposed to be passive. We aren't supposed to be active. We aren't supposed to take control of our own destinies. We're definitely not supposed to take control of our own sex lives. We are only existing for male consumption. I mean, it even took me a long time to get over this type of stuff to, well, I'll I'll be honest, and and this kind of moves forward into the conversation too. It it kind of came about during like Christina Aguilera's stripped era, where I started to think about this stuff a little bit differently and kind of like come around to the idea, well, you know what, like, why shouldn't women enjoy sex? Because I feel like that was like the prevailing idea at the time that like men should enjoy sex and want sex and um, be the ones who are like horny all the time. And like women were not supposed to, I mean, like even think about like masturbation. Okay. Think about, you know, we all knew like men jerk off all the time. Like that's a normal thing. But like the idea of like women masturbating, masturbating was horrible. Like think about like you as like a teenager, like if you, if a, if a friend found out that you masturbated, like, that was horrifying. That was like, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like women yeah. were not allowed to be sexual. We're not allowed to want it at all. And I think honestly, Brittany and Christina making those moves, at least for me, started to change my perceptive perception of those things um, and realize even at that age, what they were 
going through and what they were trying to say um, once they started to move into those er eras of their, you know, life. We all came out in 1999 and we were all chaste little virgins and it was all passive sexuality. And then I think the one to really step out of that and just be like, fuck it was Christina. Yeah. Because like Britney slowly ramped up to it. Christina went from, and again, I was not a huge, huge Christina fan. So I didn't really clock for her Christmas nor Spanish album. So we literally, for people who only passively followed Christina, we had Christina Aguilera, where she was chased metaphorically sexy, sexy with Jeannie in the bottle to fucking dirty stripped. I mean, to be honest with you, just from the perspective of someone who was a huge Christina fan, it still was a dramatic shift for us because even um, Mi Reflejo and the Christmas album were, they looked like the Christina Aguilera right. of Jeannie in a Bottle. It was the exact same Christina that, you know, straight blonde hair, right. you know, the exact same. And then Dirty came out and I remember being like, my mom's going to tell me to turn this off the TV. <laughs> that was like such a dramatic shock to the system. And it's one of those things where like looking back now, I'm like, yeah, good for her. Like, because it was almost, it was almost that teen rebellion phase that we all get mm. where it was just like, fuck it. I don't want to do this by your standards anymore. I'm just going to do literally the exact opposite, whether that's what I want to do or not. I'm just going to do the exact opposite, just to piss you off. And just to show yeah. that I'm my own person and that I can do what I want. Yeah. But she got so much fucking flack for that. Even now at this age, the album Stripped is, I'm just going to put it out there, incredibly important to me. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. I think it is a brilliant album. And I think it's also a really important album for young women who are in high school or and, and are just insecure and doubting themselves. Um, I had a really rough high school experience and this album I mean, I know that it sounds cheesy, but like, if you listen to my podcast, Euphonia, you know that like music means a lot to me. And this is that I define my life by music and, and, the, and this album defined choices that I made in life. It gave me the strength and the courage to have my own wings kind of and, and leave New Jersey and start my whole life anew in Virginia where I could be confident in myself and be myself instead of trying to be popular, trying to, you know, but anyway, I think the reason that I bring that up is because I think that all of the drama and judgment around her image at the time overshadowed really the art and message of that album when honestly what it was saying was just let me be me and fuck whatever everyone else says. Fuck whatever anyone else thinks about you. I'm, I'm gonna be me and I'm gonna be happy. Um, and part of those messages too, were like there's an album, or there's a song on the album called Get Mine, Get Yours, where she's like, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not looking to fall in love with you. Um, I'm gonna get mine and you can get yours and then you can go on your way. Like we're gonna, yes. like it's okay to be sexual and it's okay to just want, have a good sexual experience with someone. Um, and she had like some really feminist anthems on there too. Can't Hold Us Down with Lil' Kim is like, I still listen to that song to get hype. Like that song is like so, like it's it's just amazing. But anyway, I think that, yeah, the discussion around her image at the time and everything, it she got so much shit for it that I think 
it affected the response to that album. And I think that's why we see such a long gap between that and Back to Basics, Back to basics. her following. Um, and that, and again, that was a completely new reinvention because she just, it, the media and everyone was not very forgiving to her during this time when she was young and trying to find herself. And, you know. Um, let's see, she was born in 1980. So 2002, she was 22. Like she was right. doing that whole, I can finally drink, let's go out every yes. night, let's party and be free. But people still saw her as a 16 year old also. Yeah. Like, well, and also the the other thing is, is like in like in the early millennium, there weren't a lot of songs. Let's go out and get fucking wasted and live our life <laughs> songs like there are today. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't remember it being. Yeah. As and they if there were, they certainly weren't being performed by the yeah. pop princesses, you know? Right. But let's also talk about like the racial implications of Stripped. Because mm-hmm. that's when she was working with rap artists. That's when mm-hmm, she was working with true. like Little Kim. And who was on Dirty? It was a much more hip hop album. Like, yeah. And she was working with um, artists. Alicia of color. Keys was also on that album. Yeah. She was working with artists of color. Redman, I'm sorry. Oh, Red Dirty Man. was yeah. with Redman, yeah. I think that that was another reason why in the pop culture, white parent world she became a danger because she was working with artists of color now whether Mm -hmm. she was capitalizing on rap in a way that even rappers couldn't do Mm -hmm. this is not the podcast for that but I do think that it's it's this interesting shift with her where it was not only are we changing the look and the sound but we're changing with who she who she's working with and to the white suburban community. It was like an affront on all senses. Yeah, for sure. Like it was insane. But yeah, there are some songs. Like I remember Fighter. Like that's- Oh my God, that song gave me life. Yeah. And I mean, I that music video is a Lady Gaga music video before Lady Gaga Mm -hmm. was I still like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because I think that was one of those songs that like really- when I was like at my worst moments and like the music video is her like starting out at, like basically the the evolution of like a butterfly, yeah. you know, and like, get, oh God, I just, I die. <laughs> we completely just vilified her. She became ex-Tina. That's how we changed her name in the media because she was triple X rated. She was always wearing those fucking... Um, her like chaps. Her chaps. <laughs> with her like (laughs) bikini bottoms or whatever I think she really leaned into that narrative that the media was painting for her because she was like fuck it but then we'll see with Britney that's not the narrative she wanted and she fought back against it and had several issues let's get into Britney which is probably Mm -hmm. the most heartbreaking of all the princesses to me I was always a Britney girl and I will say I was always a Britney girl because I knew that Christina could out sing Britney like, I think everybody knew that, but I thought that Britney was a more rounded entertainer. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's, and when I talked about, like, earlier, you know, the things that Britney has that Christina doesn't have and ver- vice versa. Right. I think Christina has the voice hands down, and I think Britney always had the dance moves, the mm-hmm. the, the performance aspect, um, the, out, the outfits, the, the overall thing 
Britney had that. And that's why she was such a, a good performer. Again, when we go to the purity culture thing, I don't really think that Britney really bought into it. I think she just did it for her management's sake. Um, but she was, she was packaged as, you know, a pretty safe bet for all teen girls. Um, and she was the girl next door. She was the girl that you could be and could attain to be because she She's a very pretty girl. I'm not saying that she's not pretty, but she was never Jessica Simpson pretty where it was blonde bombshell, mm -hmm. almost unattainable type thing. You could be Britney. She had what, you know, quote unquote, what people describe as all American looks. Right. Yeah. You could be Britney. It was attainable to be Britney. She just also seemed really sweet and really... Mm -hmm funny and whatever um and so this is really timely to record this now we've been talking about recording this episode for a very long time but just recently like last week I think framing Britney Spears came out and I was like and that's when I texted somebody I was like we have to do this now yeah <laughs> I was texting Tanya like paragraphs while I was watching it like this is upsetting me so much we have to talk about this <laughs> Yeah, I took a lot of notes watching that and just to kind of reinforce a lot of the things that we wanted to talk about here. And so like very early on, even when she was on Star Search, yeah. they already started talking about like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, blah, 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 blah. We love to ask little kids these questions, especially yeah. little girls. Little girls, because um, the boy that was standing next to her didn't get asked that question. <laughs> right, and if, 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 little boys do get asked that question I always feel like it's like oh well how many girlfriends do you have uh -huh. and it's it's like already that player narrative but this doesn't take into account that like these are children so yep. first of all gross second of all these children don't know if they're heterosexual homosexual non-binary like whatever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so asking these questions to these little kids is ridiculous but the girl well, definitely instills heteronormativity that's for sure yeah. yeah absolutely but yeah so she got those questions almost immediately like every female entertainer does but you know she was on mickey mouse club with christina and justin like the golden era of fucking mickey mouse club i think jessica simpson was like in the like last round of auditions and she lost oh, it to Britney. I think I do remember that. Yeah. JC from NSYNC was also on the show. Yep. Yep. Ugh, such a, such a golden year for them. Mm -hmm. Right out the gate. She's got the, like we talked about already, she's got the passive sexuality of the fucking schoolgirl, whatever. And that kind of sticks with her for a long time. Like we've got, oops, I did it again. Just even the title alone. It's a yeah. passive sexuality, passive romantic thing of, oh my gosh, I did it again. Whoops, sorry. Didn't didn't mean to make you fall in love with me. Yeah. Oh, I'm just accidentally too sexy to live. Like, what are you <laughs> going to do with me? But I think what's amazing to me about Britney Spears is that the non-singles on that album, the songs that, um, I don't know if you would call them B-sides or the ones that didn't get radio play kind of suggest that she's already like trying to subvert that image in in my mind. That's the album I recently actually discussed it on Euphonia where she covers I Can't Get No Satisfaction by mm -hmm. the Rolling Stones and changes the line where the Rolling Stones sing the man on the TV tells me how white my shirt should be. 
Yeah. And Brittany sings, they tell me how tight my skirt should be. So she's already, I think, pushing back as slightly as she can on the expectations that are being placed on her. Yeah. So she did that one on Oops, I Did It Again. And yeah, I, I definitely remember, I definitely remember that lyric sticking out to me. If you watch Framing Britney Spears, like, they asked her like wildly inappropriate questions oh like from the get-go because there was this whole rumor that she had a boob job when I mean let's remember she was still like a really young girl who was still growing and fluctuating in weight and you know what here's the other thing maybe she did have a boob job who cares who fucking cares that's one of the things that like really like struck me and and broke my heart while watching Framing Britney because I do think the fact that like I was a Christina girl and so I was and I because I think I was conditioned by like the media and this idea that like we need to pit women against each other the whole boob job thing became something that like I as a young girl like latched onto and like I literally this like it it honestly sickens me that I did this that I remember as a young girl, like every time I saw like a picture of Britney Spears, I would like analyze it and like look at her boobs and be like, does it look here like they're bigger? Like look at, compare this picture to this picture, like something's definitely off. She definitely got a boob job. There's no way that's natural. How, oh my God. Like, like it was, she, I mean, and in my eyes at that point, like she couldn't win because I have just been swept into the narrative that was being created. Oh, absolutely. And like, this is like a big thing just in general for women is we are supposed to look perfect, but we are not supposed to do anything to achieve that perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, We are not supposed to get lip fillers. We are not supposed to get our eyebrows threaded. We're not supposed to wear lots of makeup, but we are supposed to look like we've had all those things done. The Mm -hmm. second that any guy on the internet realizes that a girl is wearing makeup, she gets crucified. Well, isn't that the long time like joke among women, right? About men who like, I like a natural girl, but like yeah. all the women like joke that like what you think is fucking natural is far from fucking natural. <laughs> right. There's like, there's, I like one of the fucking memes slash lines that I hate the most on the internet is like always take a girl swimming on the first date. Oh my God. And it's like, fuck you. You insist that we look this one way. Right. But then when, but when we're not born that way and we actually like try to look that way, we get dinged. So women are supposed to be this fucking mysterious mythical being that just exists. Is naturally beautiful. I mean, we are naturally beautiful, but is naturally looks like what the media says is beautiful. Doesn't, let's not forget, doesn't have any bodily functions. Oh um, no, periods, no, absolutely Periods, gas, going to the bathroom. I mean, Mm. how many women, I mean, like, let's, I I mean, I'll go there, okay? How many women do you know are terrified when they're first dating a guy to like poop in the same, like- I mean, I don't mean to like be like that, but like I literally every woman that I know has like been there and and has that story. And like I tell like male friends of mine and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I, yeah, I, I promise you, we are terrified, terrified of like going to the bathroom and and even like even it's, it's crippling. It's like stupid. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're not meant to be human. (laughs) We are not meant to be human, like fucking at all. And I don't even know how we got on that rant. I know, sorry. Sorry. No, it's fine. (laughs) It's a rant that I wanted to have on this podcast. Uh, There's just so many rants to be had. We're back on Brittany and the impossibility of Brittany. I think the thing from the Framing Brittany Spears documentary that I took the most from is watching her in interviews when she first started out versus like what she is today like on Instagram and stuff Mm. it was two different people yeah when she when she was like in her beginning when she controlled her career when she did it she was so lively and bubbly and just having fun Mm -hmm. and now and and so present I think that's what struck me is that in the early videos she felt so present and like there and like I don't know how to and and I don't know she feels distant in in the Instagram videos and stuff and I I don't see that light that you know that you saw in the earlier videos yeah and I I loved the rehearsal footage in Framing Britney Spears because like she was having fun she was you know making decisions about what she wanted to do with her tour and the things Mm -hmm. that she wanted to do that was and like you and they interviewed you know dancers and everything they're like yeah she was involved in every single conversation the reason Mm -hmm. that this one dancer got hired was because she looked at him she's like I like him let's let's I like his energy and like (laughs) that's great you want someone who's invested in their career like that but then the media and the conservatorship and whatever just fucked it over and so with the media like you know she had all those like awkward oh that's how we got on the last one was the the awkward interviews and like asking right. about her breasts. Can you imagine that happening in, in 2020? Like those conversations. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen the, the the documentary yet, there are literally videos of interviewers asking her if she had a boob job and asking her if she is still a virgin. Right. I mean, boldly asking these questions. And she just kind of like smiles nicely because that is how she's been managed to be is someone who just doesn't push back you know, responds with a smile and she just smiles and answers the question politely as if like, there's nothing. That's what we were taught in the nineties. And that's how, you know, we grew up was you smile and not like, you know, not to get too deep into my own life, but like literally (laughs) three sessions ago, my therapist said, you are all politeness and humor when you don't feel comfortable. And I was like, yep, you're sure. Right. Because I, I'm not going to confront somebody. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I, I, am, I am conditioned to just be like, mm-hmm, yes, okay, thank you. And then go and rant about it. Yeah, I have, I, yeah, I struggle yeah. with that too. Yeah, but we live in a different time now, which thank God. And, you know, I'm much more vocal, especially sticking up for other people as opposed to myself. But and I think that, yeah, I can stick up for my friends way better than I can stick up for myself. But yeah, we, you know, the media, they still, the media these days still ask inappropriate questions, but it's now also becoming more common to call them out. Yes, exactly. That's lovely. That's wonderful. But unfortunately in Britney's time, that wasn't the case. Um, and so then we get to her and Justin's breakup and that's really when that shift starts to happen for her because you know, she had slowly ramped up her sexuality. She hadn't done the three or the 180 like fucking uh, Christina Aguilera had, but you know, she had slowly, slowly gotten a little bit more sexy, a little bit more whatever. 
But then we get this fucking Cry Me a River, River Justin Timberlake revenge yeah. song, which rightly or wrongly on his part, is one of these things that I struggle with because if you look at Gwen Stefani, Gwen Stefani has written about every single breakup she's ever had in her songs. And mm-hmm. it's she puts it all out there, whatever, whatever. But then if we take this song by Justin. I'm going to be honest with you as far as specifically that song. I personally don't, and I struggle with this too because I mean, this is a whole separate other conversation, but I've given Taylor Swift a lot of shit for the way that she has written about her breakups and stuff. But I have really started to think more deeply about it because like, for example, like Beyonce's Lemonade, okay? Like, I think that that was like the most raw that I've ever seen Beyonce. And that was, you know, about her relationship with Jay-Z. And like you said, like Gwen Stefani writes about her breakups and, I mean, Alanis Morissette's, you know, first song was famously, yeah. I mean, that song wasn't, wouldn't have been as good if that rage wasn't really there, you right. know? So I think at the end of the day, I do believe it's an artist's right to write about what's personal to them. I think where Justin took it too far was, I don't necessarily know that the music video had to have a Britney lookalike in it. Right. So that the, like, cause you can get your emotions out and, and write about what you need to without completely ruining the reputation of someone in the public eye um, who you know is already struggling with like right. media criticism. And then I think the further step of that was every fucking interview mm. after that clearly didn't give a fuck at that point of, of right. protecting her or anything. And I understand he was young too, but like the fact that like you see in the documentary, him talking about basically like, yeah, I fucked her. Yeah. There's no excuse for that. No, oh, I don't care. And I think that is where for me, I don't think the act of recording Crimea River was the sin. I think it's right. everything else after that, that, that was too much. Well, and I think the other thing is, is like, I'll, I'll bring it back to Gwen Stefani. I think that, you know, whenever she wrote a breakup song she was also very public about the situation around that breakup and so Mm -hmm. it wasn't a surprise to anybody but we never got really a clear answer from justin if britney actually cheated on him or whatever like it was always this like did she or didn't she yeah And, and and i almost feel like it was that question that hurt more than anything else because like you know if everybody on every side had been like yeah britney cheated on me like it almost would have gotten over it quicker. That's probably true. Yeah, that it was, it, it continued on as this conversation of right. always like what happened there. And I think you're right too, because I remember as a kid hearing about, so like we, I was so obsessed with like Britney and in sync and right. all of that kind of um, era of pop music that like me and my friend who were also really, really loved music, we would like get obsessed with like every single detail of everything. So yeah. we already knew who Wade Robson was, the choreographer. And then I remember hearing the rumor that that is who Britney Spears cheated with. But like, to be honest with you to this day, I couldn't tell you where that came from. I couldn't tell you yeah. how that rumor got started, who it came from anything like that. Um, It it very well could have just been completely fabricated in the media to, like you said, continue that mystery of, ooh, what happened? Oh, was she she cheating with his best friend? Because that was also, Wade was also an in-sync choreographer. So he was friends with them and that just made it worse. Oh my God, not only did she cheat, but she cheated with his friend. You know, it was all, yeah. Meanwhile, the Backstreet Boys come out with a song about cheating and no one fucking cares anyway. 
that? What song? What am I thinking? Am I missing uh, something? No, it's that, like, I'm in the club and baby, I can't answer my phone and... Oh my God, wasn't it just the call? Yeah. I forgot about that. And I, I actually, I hated Backstreet Boys, but I love that song. And I totally forgot about it until just this minute. And I feel like oh. I'm going to go listen to it after this. Yeah. <laughs> so like boy bands can sing about cheating on their girls, but, uh, Oh yeah. Well, girl can't even have a mystery in real no, life. I mean, that goes it. back to what we were just saying about like, yeah. it's, boys will be boys. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so with this Justin Timberlake breakup and with Crimea River, that's when the media like really started to like viciously turn on her. It was mm-hmm. like passively toxic with the whole like, oh, did you have a boo job? Whatever, whatever. Because like that's every woman in entertainment was ha- was getting those questions at that point. However, when the breakup happened, that's when it got like actively toxic against her. There's just so many scenes in that documentary where she's just being swarmed by paparazzi and they're they even interview one of the paparazzi and he's like yeah when it started like it was it was fine because you always hear and I feel like this is a very common thing for celebrities where like when they're first starting out it's a very give and take thing with the paparazzi where it's just like yeah I will absolutely pose for a few photos Mm -hmm. you know whatever whatever because they're trying to get their name out there they're trying to get their Mm -hmm. image out there and so like having this good relationship with the paparazzi makes sense right and at first I mean any human okay when you're starting to get famous it's it's exciting that means you're successful you don't realize when it's first happening how out of control it can get you know at first it's just like oh my gosh people want to take my picture and that's fair (laughs) and you know if that's how if the relationship with the paparazzi was always a give and take I think it would be fine and I think it would Mm -hmm. be healthy but then Mm -hmm. there's always that point where like the paparazzi just goes too far yeah and you know, again, now in like 2020s, we were calling paparazzi out and we're uh-huh. like getting stricter on it and stuff like that. And we're more on celebrity sides a lot of times, but like paparazzi was just really starting to be a thing in the late 90s, early millennium. Celebrity chasing was just starting to be because you had the advent of portable cameras. You had these cameras that were like, easier to transport than the big massive on the Mm -hmm. shoulder 80s ones and then when you know the iphone came out and we had fucking cameras on all of our phones that's when it really like fucking took off and got like super super fucking toxic yeah and i think the conversation was like generally there because princess diana died in 1997 Mm -hmm. um and i think that was like one of the first times where people saw that it could get dangerous right but she was still also you know criticized heavily in the media for like her actions and stuff like that so i think that was just a part like this was the entire era of paparazzi like this was when we really started to see the negative effects of paparazzi right but not really like admit that to ourselves until right. later on do you know what I mean right and I think with I think with Princess Diana in particular god I could do a whole episode on her too that's I fine. know <laughs> with her in particular I think it was almost easier to write off the paparazzi for her because she was fucking royalty and yeah it was exactly like, oh mm-hmm. they're not gonna do that to everyone it's right. just she was royalty Right. Which, yeah, for sure. Stupid. I mean, it was another country. Like, it's very easy for yeah. Americans, obviously, to say, like, oh, that won't happen here. Yeah. It's amazing. It's another but conversation. I mean, <laughs> TMZ was just starting to really, yes. like, be a mm-hmm. thing, thing. Because, again, and a lot of this, again, 
also goes back to the advent of the internet. Yeah. Uh huh. I was thinking the same I mean, thing. Yes. You know, uh, that's one reason why paparazzi got so popular because, you know, there was always market tabloids all the mm-hmm. time, but now you've got like the World Wide web where you now have so many people who want to buy photos of celebrities and I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And think about people like Perez Hilton, who literally made their career talking shit about celebrities. There's scumbag. I know. And there's literally actually a scene in the documentary where it's like an interview with Perez Hilton and Perez Hilton is like, oh yeah, Britney Spears makes my job easy. Britney Spears having another breakdown. Yay. Like essentially like more money in my pocket. Like, I don't know how you fucking live with yourself at that point. (laughs) But like, let's talk about how like it was Perez Hilton. Like we let him have a job for so long. I, you know, I mean, this is, I am not, I am, I am guilty also. Like I Perez Hilton for a few years, my, my tradition was to like, first thing, like, just check out what, what's new on PerezHilton.com. Yeah. I was absolutely caught up in it as well. And I think I'm grateful that I have learned and that we have learned as a society what the reality is. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, um, I'm, I'm glad that it seems to be getting better, but obviously it's still an issue, but that we are moving away from it. But look what we've left in our way. Brittany gets like demolished by the paparazzi, has her tumultuous relationship with Kevin Federline, who is one of her backup dancers. They have a reality TV show that is pretty much the exact opposite of Nick and Jessica's reality TV show. I think it's literally called chaotic, right? Yeah, it, it very much felt like rebellious Brittany being rebellious for the sake yeah. of being rebellious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fair. It was kind of one of those things where like the media wants to paint me as this like awful party girl that I'm going to be this awful party girl. If you're going to yeah. say these things about me, then why not just fucking do it? You get inundated with these stories and these thoughts about yourself that like eventually you're going to kind of believe it and lean into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, oh, well, if they're saying these things about me, then it must be true. Yeah. And so then she had her very public breakdown. You know, she got divorced from Kevin and then Kevin wouldn't let her see the kids. Um, She got all this media backlash about, is she a good mom? Is she a bad mom? Like, we don't fucking ask if Kevin Federline is a good father or if he's a bad father. And that is 100% still an issue today. Yeah. Moms and celebrity moms on the internet just getting, no matter what they do. Fucking Chrissy Teigen. I fucking Mm -hmm. love her. And like, no matter what she posts, there's always somebody that's like, you're endangering your kid or whatever, whatever. And I'm like, shut up. Don't, don't come for Queen Queen Chrissy. I've literally seen comments, people in the comments, like when she had her miscarriage, like people Mm -hmm. like, who cares? People have miscarriages every day. I don't need to read about hers. What the fuck is, I, I mean- just, just keep scrolling. Are, yeah, I need to. Yeah, don't read the comments. <laughs> don't ever read the comments. They're normally trash. She's just inundated. I think one of the saddest parts for me was there was one time where like she was clearly trying to eat with her friend at a restaurant and like got chased out of the restaurant. Like they sat down in the booth and then like the paparazzi just swarmed them. Yeah, and she just got up and left. You don't have any free time to yourself. You can't even walk outside your door without people in your face. I think one of the things that broke my heart while watching it was, I remember when she first shaved her head um, during the infamous, I think that was 2007. And I remember hearing the rumor when that happened that she did it because 
of like drug testing that right. she didn't want, you know, right. she didn't them to take tested. it. Right. And then learning later on in the documentary, and I think I had heard it a little bit prior to the documentary that she had shaved off her hair and actually said, um, I don't want anyone to be able to touch me. Yeah. Basically like everyone wanted a piece of her and she just didn't, she didn't want to be touched. Like you love like my, you know, all American girl, blonde hair or whatever, it's gone. So you can't have it anymore. And God, that's just, that's just heartbreaking. I think that like, she just didn't feel like any part of her was her own. Oh, absolutely. And just the fucking treatment she received from the media for shaving her head when like in this pandemic of 2020, I cannot tell you the amount of TikToks I have seen of girls just shaving their head because they're like (laughs) bored or having like a mental, like they're like, oh, I'm I'm having a bad mental dip. I want to do something that shakes it up and frees me from this. And so Mm -hmm. shaving my head. And so like, there's even like a sound on TikTok that's like, you don't want to like get to be 50 and then like never have shaved your head. Like it's just hair. (laughs) And it's just like societal response of 2020 versus 2007 is just so insane. Um, and like in a good way, I'm glad we're more accepting. I'm glad like girls can just shave their head and it's totally fine, but it's just so fucking crazy to me. It's sad that I think we see that it took, you know, Britney's life crumbling around her for us to and I mean not just Brittany but I think she's a very good example of this that like we grew because we ruined her life like you know what I mean Uh, and that's and she's still struggling from that yeah she was like our sacrificial pop princess where she like got sacrificed to the gods and we were like oh maybe we should be better people Right. So I guess now the answer is, you know, now we, the free Britney train and and now let's keep the conversation alive so that at the very least we can, I know this sounds like very dramatic, but like, I mean, but seriously though, like the least we can do is support her now, you know, and because I, I, okay. Are we ready to talk about the conservatorship? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 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 We absolutely are because, okay, just segue her father, who was never really in her life when Mm. she was growing up, was only ever concerned about how much money she was going to make slash how much all these singing, acting classes were costing him. He suddenly, after she has her breakdown in 2007, her kids, she gets her, like, loses visitation for her kids. She goes into, like, a mental hospital for her health and all this other stuff. And so her father just kind of swoops in out of nowhere and him and another lawyer take conservatorship over her. There's two types of conservatorship. There's conservatorship over the body and there's conservatorship over the estate. They got both, which is what? These are generally, I think they mentioned that like these conservatorships are usually used in cases where someone is like completely incompetent, incapable of like taking care of themselves, um, I think they even say like this is usually like reserved for like the elderly or right. people with like severe medical conditions where they cannot like physically and mentally cannot take care of themselves. But somehow this is the piece of the conservatorship that blows my mind and that I bring up and yell about all the time. So like Tanya said, this guy, her father, stepped back mm-hmm. up into the picture right when she has her breakdown, right? Now keep in mind with this conservatorship that I had read and that they confirmed in the documentary that her conservators have the right to essentially draw up and sign contracts for any and all work that she does. 
So let's put this into perspective. They decide what jobs she does. They decide what work she takes and when she takes it. And then they have control over the money that she receives from those jobs. So you're telling me that she's not competent enough to sign any of these documents or make any of these decisions by herself, but somehow she's still competent enough to perform all the time and go on TV shows. And like, remember, like Tanya said, a lot of these TV show like appearances and stuff like How I Met Your Mother and stuff like that didn't happen until the conservatorship. So now she's doing all of these cameos and she's got her Vegas show and all of this bullshit and who's benefiting from it. It is, it is mind boggling to me. It is, it is, seems so obvious to me what is going on here that I cannot fathom how it's not obvious to anyone, <laughs> to other people. Like I am a performer. I do a lot of theater in the Bay area. And as someone who has to learn lines and learn choreography and songs and everything for any of the musicals that I yes. do, no one who is incapable of handling mm -hmm. their life, <laughs> you can do all that stuff. I, I, it's just, yep. It, it, it is, it is completely mind boggling. And I think like the, the, the trap that we fall into as an audience is for all intents and purposes, her life got better once the conservatorship happened and she was back in the public. She was back making money. She has her kids back at least visitational I, I think she just has them back but on the very very surface of it you're like oh of course this conservatorship worked because like she went from shaved head mental hospital not having her kids to the Britney we all knew and love but like that doesn't feel real right that I, just feels like a mask yeah and I I think one of the more telling moments of the documentary is there is an interview with a lawyer who at one point Brittany attempted to hire um, to represent her in the conservatorship um, court cases. And he basically says that um, before he considered taking the job, he wanted to meet with Brittany to determine how competent she was, et cetera, et cetera. And he sat down with her and basically she was like, look, I know at this point that I'm not getting out of this conservatorship. It's going to happen. I do not want it to be under my father. And he was like, the, the attorney was basically like, from what I could tell, she was competent enough to make that decision for herself and to understand what this meant and to understand where she was at in her life that she probably wasn't going to get out of being in a conservatorship that maybe she even acknowledged that part partially a conservatorship was beneficial to her at that point but that she knew that her father would take advantage of it and that he had did not have her her benefits in mind and then the judge did not allow this attorney to represent Brittany. And, and that's another part of it that's wild to me is that they mentioned too during the, the documentary that like, because they have control over her money, uh -huh. even in all of these conservatorship cases, when it keeps going back to court, back to trial, she's paying for their lawyers. She's paying for the lawyers that are trying to keep her in a conservatorship. 
And they asked one of the lawyers that like represented Jamie, her father, have you ever seen someone successfully, because the burden is on the person who is in the conservatorship to convince the court that they no longer need to be under a conservatorship. And they asked her, have you ever seen someone successfully get out from under a conservatorship? And like, you can tell that the lawyer gets like uncomfortable for a minute. And then it's just like, no, no, I've never seen that yeah. successfully happen. The system just seems so built um, against her. And I don't know, I don't know. I'm just so upset about the whole, I'm really upset about it. Yeah. Um, so the judge told that lawyer that she tried to hire that he could not work for her because the judge had a medical report that said that she was not in sound mind or body to hire her own counsel. However, that lawyer never saw that medical report. Mm-hmm. It was never made public. No one knows what's actually in it. Yeah, that lawyer listening to his story was really crazy. Because he was like, yeah, yes. I wanted to meet her because I wanted to make sure that she was of sound mind and body to hire me. And I totally thought she was. And so, yeah, I think it's insane that her father somehow got it. Like, I, you know, in my mind, her and her mother were always, they were always yes. the one on tour together. They were always the ones in interviews together. And so when it wasn't her mother, that's the first time that I was like, this is weird. Yep. It doesn't make sense. I mean, that's the thing is like, if you are a longtime fan, like you just said, you remember the name Lynn Spears because oh, yeah. Lynn Spears was always right there. Um, and I even remember what tripped me out was like watching that documentary. They um, interviewed Felicia, I think her name was. I remembered her from back in the day because she was always by Britney's side. And it does, then if you're one of those people who follow her for so long and and know about all of these people, like it, it makes sense that Jamie is taking it. The, the, the story that Jamie is taking advantage of her makes sense because if you compare it to any of the other things that you know we've seen from Brittany and and we know about her life, it, it doesn't make any sense that it would be him. It does it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that it would be him. Which you know also because this is a feminist podcast, it makes me it makes me ask like why was the man giving control? The man who has not been in her life like at all, like why did the court decide that like yes, is it because of the traditional father role where he is the provider and the protector of the family and that's how entrenched we are in it? Like was her mother not? enough to support her or take care of her like what yeah and I don't know the answer to that as far as the court goes but I am even more convinced watching that documentary that the men in her family are misogynistic pigs do you remember the interview with her like they showed a video of an a radio interview with Britney's brother who I didn't even know she had a brother basically saying the women in their family are very outspoken and it really sucks. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding? What the fuck? Like, and he said something else too about like the conservatorship or something like that, that was really concerning to me, but you could tell that they did not like, it it really sent the message to me that like strong women were seen as a negative in that family, at least by the men. I say, I hate to say this, but I don't. (laughs) She's from the South. She's from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Like it is, 100% that culture yeah where you're again it's part of the purity culture too where you're just supposed to submit to your father and the men in your family like that's how it is she's still currently under this conservatorship it's been like 12 fucking years or something insane but I will say like I think she has realized the power of her fans and she Mm -hmm. has realized that the cultural conversation has changed a bit 
in her favor. All the rumors now are she's just refusing to work until yes. this gets lifted, which I totally support that because, you know, I, they were giving out the statistics in the documentary. Um, like her father makes 1.5% of whatever mm. revenue she brings in at the height of her Vegas re- residency. She was bringing in like $1 million a week. Yeah. Like she was that Vegas residency made her an insane amount of money, but like how much of that does she actually see? How much of that does she actually like get to do anything with this wasn't in the framing Britney Spears documentary but it was in another documentary that I watched and I cannot for the life of me remember it it was her in a car just riding around and she literally went I miss driving I miss just like the freedom of getting in a car she was like you remember when you were 16 and you get your license and you just get in a car and you drive she was like I just miss getting in a car and going somewhere by myself and I'm like that's fucking heartbreaking this woman in her Vegas residency was on stage like eight times a week busting her ass being the entertainer that we all asked her and wanted her to be and then she can't even drive a fucking car by herself like we 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 don't let her do literally anything alone it's really heartbreaking to watch and then you kind of wonder like if you if you had spent your whole life since the age of like 16 being controlled by other people and being told what to do and what your what your image should be and how do you learn who you are how do you I mean how much of of the person that she is even if she is like struggling with you know mental illness and stuff how much of that is because of the people around her and and what her life has been like up until this point do you know what I mean like yeah I mean how could she have a clearer picture of who she really is because she's been molded to be this person that mm -hmm. we want her to be and like that you know I'm not even in the public eye and I'm like in my mid-30s struggling with that and it's like how much of my past was me living up to expectations that were set upon me Mm -hmm. and how much of it was what I really wanted to do also like imagine how, how do you have the room to figure that out when every single thing that you do, every single move that you make is criticized and and pulled apart by the entire fucking world. How do you have the room to make those mistakes as a young person to learn about who you, you know what I mean? Like we've all, we all fuck up in our twenties. That's what being in your twenties is about is fucking up. So you figure out the right way to do it and how to move forward. And she's never, ever had the room to do that without someone breathing down her, her neck. You know, I like, after we watched the documentary, I like, I think I texted Tanya. Like, I just want to give Brittany a hug and say, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and I think that, you know, this is kind of where we'll wrap it up. Brittany and Christina, Mandy and Jessica, they all had a profound impact on us growing up. Mm -hmm. They were, they were who we looked to musically and they were packaged for our consumption and unbeknownst to us at the time, we didn't treat them well. And we just took the lives that they put out for granted because you know again they were for our consumption and so we consumed Mm -hmm. them and we spat them out and we didn't give them the lives that we deserve that they deserve and I'm hopeful that the media and you know audience reactions and everything are changing for the better these days we're much 
more vocal about standing up for women. We're much more vocal about not pitting women against each other and like women supporting women. We're much more vocal about, yeah, I'm not born looking perfect. And yes, I had lip fillers and fuck you. I do what I want to look how I want, but we still have a lot of work to go. We still have so much that we need to fix. I agree with you that I'm very hopeful that these conversations, um, because these conversations are happening, um, I'm hopeful because I think that as adults now, we are able to, like I see my generation forcing these conversations because we grew up with these people and now we're in a place where we can be like, hey, this was fucked up. Um, I'm going to raise up these women again as like the fucking icons that they are. But I also agree, you know, when I, I look at some of the younger pop princesses that we have now, I think it's fair to make that comparison. You know, I think Miley Cyrus has gone through a comparable... Um, And I think that she's coming out on the other end. I think that she is getting a lot of praise as an artist now. And I think maybe that that is the hope, you know, that that, Mm -hmm. that's the proof that we're getting better. Um, But she did get a lot of criticism when she was younger and figuring it out. You know, regardless of what you feel about them, I think there's no question that Katy Perry and Taylor Swift have been pitted against each other in the public Mm -hmm. eye. And I think also no matter how you feel about them, I think it's good to see them you know, coming together and doing music videos together and saying, you know what, fuck you, we're not going to play into your media narrative, you know? But I think, like Tanya said, that we do, I think I see progress. I think that we still have progress to go, but at least we're moving in the right direction. Better than we were in the 90s, so don't rest on your laurels. There's still work to do, but basically just you know, love each other and don't give in to the patriarchy and the toxic masculinity that has been drilled into all of our cultures for the beginning of time. Topple capitalism and set things on fire. Anarchy. Yeah. Woo. (laughs) We're ending this podcast. Anarchy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for coming on and talking to me ad nauseum about pop princesses. Anytime. I knew I could count on you. I was like, oh my goodness. Who, who's going to talk to me about 90s pop princesses? Fucking Stephanie is. So much to say. So much to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I will see you next time with my thorough takedown of the manic pixie dream girl stereotype. <laughs> the other thing I hate more than life itself. Thanks, everybody.